You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. So starting with this episode, I'm going to be focusing more clearly on artists who are activists. I've had many amazing activists on the show before this. Please go back through the archives if you'd like to listen to them. I have a real interest in speaking to people who are actively trying to make change right now in our political climate. I want to learn from them and I want to amplify their voices. So I'm very excited that my guest today is Hillary Clemens. Hillary is a fabulous actor who I know through my husband Frankie. They were both at the Oslo Theater in Sarasota. And all I've heard about her in the years since is how wonderful she was in that show. And then last year after the election, Frankie started telling me about these news roundups that she had been posting on Facebook. I started following her, and these write-ups are clearly written, stark, sourced, nonpartisan pictures of the day's events in a way that documented the norms that had been crossed over and over to the point where it doesn't seem surprising. What Hillary is doing is truly a service to anyone who doesn't have the time to read every news source for themselves or who is overwhelmed by the amount happening from day to day and is finding it hard to keep track. You'll hear all about what made her start doing this in the episode, And you can follow her public posts even without being her Facebook friend, so please do if you are so inclined. I believe she goes by Hillary Clemens Harbor on Facebook. She is in Kansas City these days, so this was recorded over Google Hangout after Skype and FaceTime failed us. I hope you enjoy the 95th episode of The Compass. big time so alone time to recharge is is like vitally important for me um and unfortunately uh I have a 16 month old so I rarely get it these days yeah um it's really hard for me to find that time um so now what I do is sort of take advantage of when he and I go for a long walk um, or when he's napping and I can take a second and stop working for a second and just close my eyes and breathe and listen to a little bit of music. Um, it really helps me. I used to be a, a big taker of baths too, um, but I just can't do that <laughs> now, uh, especially because our bathtub is on the other side of the wall from his crib. So that doesn't work anymore. Um, But also, also like the fact of the toddler and my husband themselves are also kind of, I think, what keep me from going over. Because when you have a tiny little person that is completely dependent on you for everything, uh, it really helps you kind of tune out um, the noise and reprioritize for yourself and recognize which things are worth sending you into a dark side and which things are not. Um, you know, we took, uh, my husband and I both took about a year off from acting when I had the baby. Um, I did a, I did two shows while I was pregnant 
and closed the second one uh, when I was about, I think, 17 or 18 weeks pregnant. And then I uh, didn't do a play again until um, my son was eight months old. And then we went, Matt and I went together and did a show uh, out of town. Um, and taking that year away from the business uh, really helped give me a little bit of perspective too about what feels so um, tragic or anxiety inducing or frustrating or important uh, when you're really in it. You kind of, when you step away from it and you can look at it from afar, you go, okay, okay. These, this is the reality of it. And while it is important while you're in it and while it does matter and while it is your career and it is uh, vital to a point, it also helps to go, this is end of the world level or this isn't. And that I think really helped a lot because I had been working really steadily, luckily, um, for a long, long time. And so it was the first big break that I'd had from being in a show in, a, in years. Um, and I think it was really good for me and has helped me now that I've, I've done three shows since my son was born and it, um, and it's really helped me be even more appreciative of what's wonderful about what we do in a way that I, I don't know, I wouldn't have said I was jaded before, but it's helped me sort of reappreciate what is really special about this career that we've chosen and the the storytelling aspect of it, the community aspect of it, um, all of that. It's been um, a little extra special being back in it after taking some time away. So that's been helpful in terms of not going over to the dark side as well, because it helps me go, oh, I'm really lucky that I get to do this, you know? Yeah. And also just that feeling that, oh, it's still here for me. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel like, especially for women, it can you get this feeling that like, oh, if I let up for a second, yeah, if I miss yeah. these opportunities for the next couple weeks, even mm -hmm. I'm gonna be behind or I'm gonna be forgotten. Yeah, it can be. It can be. It was really terrifying to um, even decide that we were ready to have a kid because I knew and know actresses that um, had a kid or two and either never worked again in a couple of instances, um, sometimes by choice and sometimes because they just got off the carousel and couldn't get back on um, or took years and years off. Um, and sometimes I think that's the right move for, for what your family life is and what you want and what your priorities are. It's not been easy doing shows with a kid at all. It's really hard. And the only way I've been able to do it is that um, I, I moved back home to where my family is. And so I yeah. have my mother who is retired, who is just a joyful, um, you know, she calls herself the granny nanny <laughs> and, you know, and I try not to lean on her too hard. Um, but she's been indispensable. I mean, that first show we did out of town, Matt and I were both offered this, this show and we were like, well, we can't do that. And, uh, and my mom said, well, what if I just came with you? Aww. And I said, what? She's like, it's only seven weeks. I'll just come with you and I'll take care of the baby. And it, and I'll get to have time with him and you can get back in there. Oh my and goodness. it was, I mean, there's just no way that I, I mean, that is just a stunning level of generosity on her part. And, and although it's funny because now that I am a parent, I go, well, I would do that for my kid. 
you know, That's but, um, but it, it was, it's the only way that we've been able to do that. We, yeah. Two of the shows, uh, since we had him work to get, were together. My husband and I were both in them. Um, and that was both easier and harder. Um, easier because we had the same schedule, but harder because we had the same schedule. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you get home at the end of a long day of rehearsal and like both of you are tired from a long day of rehearsal. So you can't be like, your turn, you know? Yeah. You're not getting the trade off. Yeah. Yeah. And so you guys were in Chicago for a long time. A long time. Before you went Yeah. Home 15 to... years for me. And now you're in Kansas City. Now right? we're in the Kansas City area. Yeah. 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 And it's a big adjustment. Um, and you in moved, a lot of ways. You moved back when you were pregnant? Yeah, we moved here. We had initially planned to move to Seattle um, and, in fact, did move. I mean, we had all of our stuff there. Um, oh, wow. And then I was just getting more and more pregnant. We were there. We were doing a show. We were doing Christmas Carol. And um, that was the second show that we did. I found out I was pregnant on opening night of a show in Indiana. Um, we were doing The Great Gatsby. Matt and I were together. And um, found out I was pregnant on opening night. And so we did that run. And then we went directly into Christmas Carol in Seattle. And all of our stuff was there. And I was getting more and more pregnant. And we were starting to look at, you know, um, buying a house. Because we really wanted to do that. And just looking around and going, why are we here? Even though we really loved the city. We felt so far away from our family. Because Matt's family is in the Midwest too. And and felt so far away from our family. And, and so sure that we would never be able to afford to have the kind of life that we wanted there, um, be able to give our kid a house with a yard, you know? Right. Um, and so, and I, I, we read some horrific article that said that daycare there, if you can get it, is costs as much, one year of daycare costs as much as a year at the University of Washington. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what uh. are we doing? So we, so we, we decided to move back here. And, um... And I got, when we got here, I was about, uh, oh, I guess like seven months pregnant when we got here. And it, it was the right move in a lot of ways. And we're still adjusting to it and figuring it out. You know, we live in a small town. I live, okay, I live literally across the street from the house I grew up in. Oh my I goodness. Didn't, yeah, I didn't mean to do that. Um, <laughs> but that the house was on the market and it ended up, and I was like, well, let's go look at it. That'll be funny. And then it ended up being the best thing we saw that was at the market. And so I... Hilarious. Yeah. So I can see the house I lived in until I was 15 from, like, the window of my child's nursery. (laughs) Yeah. So there's something really comforting about that and also something that is just sort of, like, slightly horrific about it. Yes. But good. But it's good. It's, (laughs) It's good. I know it's a good neighborhood. And the community, the theater community here is surprisingly great. I mean, I, I say surprisingly to people who don't um, know Kansas City. Right. Um, because I think people maybe have certain assumptions about Kansas City or the Midwest. Um, and I grew up here, so I know. Like, it's actually a, a really um, vibrant and sort of constantly growing uh, community of um, some pretty incredible, um, talented, collaborative, smart people. Um, and so I, and I've been able to stay in touch with several of the people I work because I started acting professionally when I was a child. Um, and so I was able to stay in touch with a few people, uh, that were in this community when I moved away. And so when I, when we moved back, I, you know, I felt like I had some sort of built in friendships already, which really helped sort of, um, ease us into this community. And we're still getting to know a lot of people that we don't know, but 
uh, it's made it a little easier because I, I already knew some friends here. Right. And that helped a lot. And that is another thing that, I mean, in terms of staying away from the dark side, like community, you know, and even as an introvert, like <laughs> just knowing like, hey, there's a bunch of people that are um, similar to me and have similar goals and priorities and um, loves. Um, and that really, really helps because where we are, I mean, Missouri is a, it's also a really red state. Um, and it, in this current political climate, it can feel a little, uh, lonely and overwhelming, uh, to be a blue dot in a red state. Um, the conversations you overhear at the post office, you know, the, the, um, white supremacist flags flying outside homes near you, you know? Um, and then there's, you know, then there's the hate has no home here sign too. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not, it's, um, it's not that much, but going from Chicago to Seattle to here has definitely been something that you go, <laughs> right, right. So being in the theater community has helped a lot with that because, you know, you go to your workplace and right. everyone is sort of um, talking about the same thing in a way that doesn't make you sort of panicky <laughs> uh, in the same way. Yeah, I don't know. Totally. There were about 10 things I wanted to ask you questions about in that, but since, <laughs> since we're now on this subject, <laughs> yeah. can we talk about your news roundups that you've been doing um, yeah. since Trump got elected and what started that idea for you? And um... Well, you know, like a lot of people, um, I was really invested in, in the election in 2016 and before that as well. I mean, I've always been a fairly politically involved and, and um, aware uh, person, um, to a certain degree. Um, but this race, I know for, especially for, uh, most women that I know, um, felt really, uh, personal and, um, high stakes. Yeah. And as we were approaching the election, I, I, I just felt, uh, really worried, um, about what I was seeing. And then he, uh, and then Donald Trump, was elected president of the United States, and uh, and it ha- it happened um, as I feared it would, and um, and then when the inauguration happened that weekend, you know, he was inaugurated on a Friday, and between Friday and Monday, so much had already happened, like he'd already signed so many orders and nominated so many people that were on the record as being opposed to the like basic ideology of the thing that they were being nominated to handle, you know, like they were just, I was reading the news and just seeing so many things that I, uh, kind of on a whim while my, you know, baby was napping on me, wrote up like a, uh, just sort of like, Hey, so here's what's already happened over the weekend. Have a great Monday, everybody. You know, well, things are moving uh, so fast that it's easy to feel yeah. like people, they're falling from the public eyes so quickly that it's like they never happened. Exactly. Even though and they're I, um, terrified. And I, I, so I thought I'd just do that one thing. And then like the, either the next day or a couple days later, I realized that more had happened. And so I wrote another one. And at first they were sort of, you know, it was really clear what my uh, opinion was about all of it. Um, and I, you know, I didn't like get super into tracking down all the sources on things. I was just sort of going like, well, you know, 
the Washington Post says this happened, so I'm going to believe it happened. Um, and then as I kept doing it, I started realizing how difficult it was for me to sort of sift through what was spin and propaganda or speculative or op-ed and find the real um, truth of something. Um, and I was like, God, for this many things happening a day, no one is going to take the time to go through and go, okay, but what really happened here? Right. Um, and so I started, they, the roundups started to become more, more and more about really um, carefully vetted and sourced uh, facts, things that I could say, this definitively actually happened today. Because, um, you know, it's like that bed of nails analogy, right? That we, we don't get pierced by any one nail on the bed of nails because there's so many of them. And I think that was part of why he did so well in the, uh, the campaign. It's that there were so many things that no one thing could be um, the thing that brought him down. Right. Um, because nobody could focus on just one thing enough. Like as soon as one story hit, there'd be three more. Um, and it just feels like, you know, trying to, you know, herd cats to try to keep track of all of the, the news. And, and I realized like, I, it was starting to panic me a little bit. Um, and I, so in some ways it's funny talking about again, going to the dark side, like in some ways this is, um, existentially horrible, (laughs) this project, um, because I'm doing nothing but reading uh, I mean, it takes literally all of my free time, hours and hours of my day yeah. uh, to do it. And I'm reading so much information about what's going on. And a lot of it that I don't include in the roundup because I can't source it uh, to my satisfaction or because it's something that's probably going to happen but hasn't happened yet. Or it's something that is entirely from unnamed sources. And I try to really not include too much of those. Um, I tend to only include those stories when um, someone in the administration comments on them um, mm. or takes an action in, in response to them because it's too easy, I think, for people to dismiss something that's like, oh, well, that's just an unnamed source, you know. Right. Um, so I, I, there's so much that I don't even include that I see that is just so demoralizing and, and, and terrifying. Um, but on the other hand, um, doing all of this gives me some sense of... Um, not control over it, but at least gives me a feeling of like, I know, I, okay, but I know what's happening. It's vigilance. And that is in some ways comforting for me that, um, that I feel like if, if there's one thing I am, it is informed right now. And I really, it's such it's a cliche, but I really believe that knowledge is power. And I think if, um, you know, I said in one of the roundups once I said, you know, we don't want to be the frog that gets boiled alive because of the, heat being turned up incrementally you want to be the frog that goes wait a minute (laughs) i understand how physics works and what a pot full of water um and a recipe for frog's legs on the counter uh meets for me and i'm gonna get the hell out of this pan and i'm gonna warn all the other frogs too so you know and i i don't it's it's become now this thing that i didn't expect to still be doing this um this many months later, but I know in addition to however many of my Facebook friends read them, um, have, uh, 1700 as of today, uh, 
people that I don't know that follow me on Facebook. So they see all my public posts, which are these roundups. So I, it's a lot. And then I have these people on, on, on Patreon that have chosen to, to kick in a buck or two, uh, a month to help me pay for, you know, all my various, um, new subscriptions and things, which is literally the only way I can keep doing this because it, I mean, it's, I'm spending 20 to 25 hours a week at least on it. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, so I also now feel this sense of like, well, I can't stop now. (laughs) (laughs) Too many people have sent me messages being like, you're the only news I read. And I'm like, Oh God, please read other news. (laughs) But, but thank you. Um, you know, it's interesting what a one, what a huge role Facebook has played in this election in many ways. Yeah. But two, how much people get their news from it. And I I found myself sometimes like I'll, I won't know some large event happened mm-hmm. until I see that several people are referencing something and then I go look it up and mm-hmm. find out that something occurred or someone had passed away or whatever had happened. And, you know, I can feel like it's very useless to share yeah. articles on Facebook or people just read the title and then like it or whatever it is. Yeah. But you're kind of using that to your advantage in a beautiful way in that it, you're not putting it on a separate web page. It's as a Facebook yeah. post, and people can yeah. read it as they're scrolling or read the first section and then get sucked into it. Yeah, that's um, exactly by design too. I'm so glad yeah. you said that because I've had many people tell me, "Well, you should do a blog or you should have a, a real like a website." And I said, "But I, d- but it's so easy to just choose to not click that link on Facebook. It's so easy to just not do it." And in exactly right, if I can have. Um, have it be right there in a, in a way that it's like, all you got to do is click that read more button mm-hmm. and there it is. Um, in as simple and clear language as I can put it, then it's much more likely that people will actually read it. And I don't know how many people actually sit there and read the whole thing, especially the really long ones. I don't know. Or how many people just go, Oh, I'm going to share that. And I'll read it later. Or I'll bookmark it and read it later. I don't know. I hope that for the most part, people are really reading them. Um, cause I thought I put so much, I put a lot of work into it, but also because, um, you know, I really, I, I really wouldn't be doing this if I didn't really think that there's a vital, uh, need for objective reality right now. There's just so much, especially, and it's specifically why I've been using Facebook too, because I saw so much fake news, you know, and that's in the original definition of fake news, not the way that the president uses it now to describe any news that he doesn't like. Um, <sighs> but real fake news, you know, yeah. um, that people were, that gets shared and you know, what's that? I think it's, it's, I think it's a Winston Churchill quote and I have not sourced this Leah, so I can't tell you <laughs> for sure it's a Winston Churchill or if it's apocryphal, but, um, allegedly, but the, uh, the quote that's that a, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth gets its pants on, hmm. you know? And it's true, you see, you see things going viral that are just not true at all. Not at all true. And because of the way our Facebook algorithms work, often the, you know, the, something will spread in a way that you have no control over. And people will see the same content over and over again and not anything that's outside of that. Um, it's a really creepy thing. And I don't know, um, in one of the, the recent, I think all the days have become the same. Um, 
it might have been yesterday, it might have been the day before. Um, but the uh, the fact that the digital campaign manager, the Trump campaign, had said that Facebook had provided him with uh, embedded, he called them embeds, but um, Facebook employees who came and worked with Trump's digital um, campaign manager to help him figure out how to use their specific targeted advertising technology to to reach and um, sort of stir up uh, Trump voters or likely Trump voters um, in a way that the Clinton campaign, I guess, did not do. And the fact that there were all of these paid ads uh, by Russian uh, information operations agents that were posing as Americans and events that they were creating and promoting, most of which were, you know, anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant, anti-Black Lives Matter kind of things. Um, you know, the, the commitment to divisiveness and the using, you know, a, a con man picks his mark, you know, and tailors the con to the mark, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really telling the way that Russia and Putin chose to um, mess with our democracy, that they chose to take um, what is true about our culture and society um, and the way that we uh, engage with, with news and facts um, and use it against us yeah. and undermine us. And I find that really troubling. It's really scary because I don't know yeah. how how you can solve that problem before the next, because it's so insidious. Like, mm -hmm. how do you solve that before the next election? I know. Well, and it's the, and it's on the left, too. You know, it's not just people on the right. You know, I see yeah. so much, um, you know, bullshit, if I can say bullshit on your podcast. Yes, you know. um, uh, for, uh, coming from, from left-wing um, places as well, stuff that, you know, you go, you go okay, but that, that's not either it's not really real or it's yeah. not useful like or, let's, I don't know wait, what let's... this site is it's just like no matter how yeah. much you want something to be true if it's like playing mm -hmm. into your ideology like like meh. yeah that and there are a lot of people like who are interested in um promoting themselves as a brand like a resistance mm -hmm. brand as well um sort of commodifying the resistance uh that I find really distasteful as well mm -hmm. um and then you go, how much can I trust what you're telling me uh, when it feels like mostly what you're trying to do is build a following? Yeah. Um, and it's something that, again, with my roundups, I've been really trying to be careful about. Um, I started the Patreon page because I had a lot of people that kept saying, like, you know, I, you know, I want to I want to find some way to support what you're doing and help. Um, and a lot of people wanted me to put them behind ads uh, or, you know, on YouTube or do some sort of paid subscription thing that just felt really wrong to me to, like, go, I'm going to charge you money if you want this information. Right. Um, and what I like about Patreon is that it's there, and if someone wants to, um, then it's there, and no one is no one has to contribute anything uh, to get the information. It will, you know, I want to keep it free uh, and available um, to as many people as possible. Because yeah. we just, it's just creepy. I see it happening. I see it happening. It's so, it's so funny no, the way people you're... will immediately look for an opportunity to enrich right. themselves. And that isn't what you started this for. I mean, no, I've, not, I've, no. I'm, everyone I'm sure is so grateful that you're doing it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I hope so. I, I get, I get 
good I get good messages from people that and that I find that really encouraging because honestly just personally for me every every person that I know that's reading them and is and that cares about this information uh to me is encouraging in in feeling like maybe there's some hope um for us and I you know I really got my eye on 2018 and the um the midterm elections because I think that's going to tell us a lot yeah about um about where we're going and what is salvageable or not you know whether seeing what the um the voter turnout is like and if any seats get flipped and what kind of message is being sent and how successful um attempts at voter suppression are um and how much we're, we've we're able to try to circumvent that i whenever anybody says well what do you, what's the thing what you know what should i focus on i always say focus on voting rights and voter suppression gerrymandering voter id laws things that are are to me it's the most un-american thing possible but things that are aimed at keeping people from voting um that to me is the number one uh immediate issue but that's just my that's just my opinion that's not a fact (laughs) it may be but i don't have the sourcing for it (laughs) have you found that um i know you just finished doing a show or are you still i did yeah i just closed a sam shepherd play Yeah. yeah Was that the first show you had done since starting the Roundup? No, I, um, because I started the Roundup in January, uh, just a couple of days after the inauguration. And then in mid-February, we started rehearsals for a show, um, our, our first show back after the baby. Oh, that was and the then, one that you went Yeah, and then we gotcha. did um, Hamlet this summer, and then uh, and then the Sam Shepard play. So all three of those plays have been, um, have been since doing this. Yeah. Uh, it's hard <laughs> um, to do. Yeah. Uh, the parent thing, the actor thing, like the working yeah. actor thing. Yeah, I'm and very tired. Yeah. Luckily, the, the show, um, the first show back was a, a farce. Um, it was growing and growing. So uh, I got to just risk. do something yeah. stupid and fun, um, which was really good for my soul. You know, you leave in a good mood every night. Um, and I had a big chunk of the play where my character was gone. Um, so if I didn't get it finished before, <laughs> didn't get the product finished before I had to leave for a half hour, I could do it, you know, yeah. during the part of act one I wasn't in. Um, are there yeah, any was... ways that the roundup has changed since you started it that you, um, that you yeah, it's noticed? changed, it's changed a lot. The tone of it has changed a lot. Um, you know, you cause at first it was sort of really a, like, objective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At first it was very subjective. Um, and now I, I, you can definitely, I mean, you can definitely, you don't have to be Nancy Drew to see what my feelings likely are about these things. Mm-hmm. Just in the simple fact of how I curate the facts in terms of like which facts I'm choosing, the things that I'm choosing to talk about, you know, I could be talking about, you know, the Senator, the democratic Senator who's on trial for corruption right now, but I'm not, even though, um, I do think that that matters and I will bring it up, you know, if it's important, cause I'm not interested in hiding from or ignoring, um, the ways in which, you know, my quote unquote side, um, is contributing to, uh, you know, problems in our country. I have no interest in that at all. And in fact, I've done several, um, roundups where I include like here, you know, Hey, just so we're clear, like, 
no, this thing isn't true. Melania Trump didn't steal this speech from right. you know, Michelle Obama, right. everybody. And, you know, no, it's not really accurate to say that, you know, Donald Trump personally bankrupted that Puerto Rican golf club, you know, that's, it's a little more nuanced than that, you know, I, cause I think, I, I think we have to be really exactly sure what we are angry about. Um, and not just sort of yeah. indiscriminately angry or angry about things like Melania Trump's shoes, which yes, we can all roll our eyes at a pair of high heeled shoes on the way to do hurricane disaster relief, but is that really going to be the most useful, um, way to spend our, our energy yeah. on any given day? I don't know. But also, you know, um, I think, I don't know. I think, I think you have to have some balance just so that everybody can f- kind of know which way is north, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, cause otherwise it's just, it's just more propaganda, but yeah, I mean, you can definitely see how I feel about things in terms of how I choose the facts and the context that I give. Um, but there's a real minimum of editorializing. Sometimes I can't help myself if there's something that I find to be um, truly despicable. Um, I might let it uh, come out a little bit, mm-hmm. but I really try. I really try to stay as um, as close to just the facts of the matter as possible. Um, and then how you feel about those facts and what, what they mean to you um, is up to you. Um, you can read every, all those things and go, yep, I'm cool with that. And, um, and we can disagree about that. But uh, I, I work really hard to make sure that you can't look at those things and tell me that they're not true, because they are. Can we talk a little bit about after things? <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. So what was your experience like in Chicago? Uh, mostly really great. Did you go to college there? Is that what my internet snooping told me? Yeah, I did. I went to Loyola University in Chicago. Um, I had been acting professionally as a kid from when I was, you know, seven or eight, uh, up until I graduated from high school. And so I really, I wanted to go to a school that wasn't a conservatory. Um, I really wanted to go somewhere that was, a, a liberal arts education, um, where I could learn about a whole lot of different things. Um, and, a, and an acting program that was good, uh, but that was not um, super cutthroat competitive yeah. because I wanted to be able to be a student and a person uh, for a few years. And I also, my first years at school, I, um, I didn't audition for anything because I, I kind of wanted to go, okay, is this a thing I'm doing because I've always done it? Or is this a thing I'm doing because it's what I should be doing? Uh-huh. Um, and I really missed it a lot. So I was in the first show back. <laughs> um, and then I stayed there. I, you know, I, I thought about moving to New York or LA afterward, but I ended up doing, um, the school at Steppenwolf, which is their mm-hmm. intensive, uh, summer, uh, 12 week conservatory. Um, and I did that this summer after I graduated from college. So, and then I started, um, getting, uh, work. So I, it just never seemed like the right time to go anywhere. Um, right. And so I just stayed put and I ended up joining a theater company there called the gift theater company, which is a small and by small, I mean like our theater is literally, there's 40 seats equity, but it's an equity company, um, in Chicago on the Northwest side. And, uh, we've really, uh, it's a pretty, I think it's a pretty extraordinary, uh, company and a, and a pretty amazing ensemble. Our ensemble also now includes like, uh, Will Nino and, um, David Wayne just joined our ensemble. Um, 
and awesome. uh, and some I think some pretty stunning actors and other playwrights as well and directors and uh, and it was really hard for me when I left Chicago to lead up I mean I, I remain an ensemble member but I was also the casting director there for five years oh really uh, and, yeah until I, until we moved um, and uh, and so it was hard to it was hard to leave that behind and I, I hope that you know in the next years or two or three I'll be able to get back and do a show there yeah. again because I miss it it's my my artistic home that's yeah. so important to have yeah yeah and um, I miss it <laughs> what was the doing the casting director thing like uh, it was awesome I wish that I could still do it kind of the only way I was able to do that and be an actor is because it was my company yeah um I you know I think if I were going to really go into casting you, you could sort of have to go okay I'm a casting director now and I'm not an actor because otherwise it's the conflict of interest I think can be a little too high um yeah uh, but I I really love doing it I like being as the casting director you get to be the advocate for everybody um and that's really thrilling for me to get to be on you know you're on the side of the play itself the director the playwright the, the you know the producer and the actor you know to try to find the best solution for everybody and that's really wonderful and I liked having been an actor um I knew what I wanted from casting directors you know in terms of how my time and effort and energy was being um handled and respected and so I was proud of my proud of of my position of being able to um to give that to two actors so have you and your husband gotten to do a ton of plays together? Because that's what it sounds um, like. Yeah. Because Frankie and I have never gotten to do a play together. Yeah, it's insane. Well, we met doing a play together. Um, uh-huh. Although we didn't get together to get, we were just friends for a couple of years. So we we did, a sh- we did As You Like It together twice, just as friends. And then we didn't talk for a while. Because, <laughs> you know, you do a play with someone and you aren't doing a play with them. And, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then we reconnected while I was actually working out of town for six months in Florida when, where I met your yes. husband, where I met Frankie. Yes. Um, and we, so we started, uh, sort of long distancely dating while I was down there. And then we didn't work together for a long, long time. And then we had a run where I don't know how we achieved this, but we did, <laughs> we did five plays in a row together. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. And was it it just happenstance or were you, you know, campaigning for this with the artistic (laughs) directors? (laughs) It started started because uh, Lake Tahoe Shakespeare was doing Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. And they're usually there. It was a, uh, uh, you know, it's not really a company, but he has the artist director has people he works with a lot. And his people that he would, I think, normally have asked to be Romeo and Juliet couldn't do it taken another job somewhere and so some good friends of ours are sort of also part of that company of people and they said well you know who you should call is Matt and Hillary um and so we did and we like put together a video audition in our kitchen was this before you were um, married or after this was after we were married yeah okay because sometimes I feel like people um, can be nervous that like yeah Oh, what yeah. if some drama goes down and then Romeo and Juliet hate each other? <laughs> right, that's the thing you always have to be careful of, right? Um, but yeah, we did Romeo and Juliet together, and then we did, uh, and then we did Great Gatsby right after that. Um, and I was pregnant during that whole show, and then Christmas Carol we did together, 
and then we took a year off and then we did Boeing Boeing together and then Hamlet together. I feel like I'm missing one, but maybe not. Um, and then we just did each did a show without the other one just now, which was, you know, how did that feel? Both good and bad. <laughs> um, no, it was good. It was good. It was good for us to be able to like come home at the end of the day and be able to go, how was your show? You right. Know. Instead of being like, well, we have nothing left to talk about because yeah. I've been with you all day. <laughs> I mean, let's talk about that thing that happened in the show tonight. No. Yeah. Um, but you know what? We, uh, we really, we're buddies, you know, and we like being around each other. So we've, we really lucked out that we haven't gotten too, um, snipey with each other about stuff like that. Um, and I mean, oh God, I'm right. Because of the roundup, and, and how much work it is and how much sort of depressing work it is. Yeah. And the fact that we have a, a toddler and Matt right now, his day job is super long hours and often unpredictable hours. So, you know, it's not like we don't get cranky with each other, um, but we like each other a lot. And, um, and we've managed to not get, I think, uh, too at each other's throats, uh, even when we were working together at the same time. Um, which is good because what's nice about it is that you have somebody who knows what you're dealing with and what's going on. Of course. You know, so that's nice. And, you know, when you're playing Romeo and Juliet and you get to look into the face of the person that you actually love more than anything and say, my bounty is as boundless as the sea, you know, (laughs) there's just nothing better than that ever in the world. Although then you also have to like, see them dead on the ground and that's horrible too my friends would go like oh you're Romeo and Juliet that's so romantic and I go well it is for the first for the part first of it section of the play yeah and then it's the worst <laughs> oh that's yeah. amazing but we like to joke that our our onstage relationship is deteriorated because we started with Romeo and Juliet which is pretty romantic and then Gatsby and Daisy which is kind of messed, <laughs> kind of messed up and then Christmas Carol, where we weren't anything. I was the ghost of Christmas past, and he was nephew Fred, so we didn't really have much of anything. And then Boeing Boeing, where I'm one of his three mistresses, you know? <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Hamlet, we were brother and sister. <laughs> so, so we've devolved yes. in terms of our yeah. romantic relationship <laughs> over the course of the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, that, uh, yeah. We'll have to play enemies next. <laughs> Probably. What does your family make of your choice to be an artist for your career? Well, you know, I, because I've been doing it since I was a kid, they're pretty used, to, used it, to it, um, which is good. I think they worry for me, um, but I'm also a pretty responsible uh, person, and I think they see that. I think it's hard sometimes for my family um, because our, you know, our career doesn't have the usual uh, signposts of what is successful or what is um, stable or yeah yeah like I can't go like I was promoted to regional manager you know that's not something that um that we have to sort of go things are going well for me and I think sometimes for a lot of people too it's like if you're not um on Broadway or on a tv show it somehow doesn't fully uh equate to success um for certain people um, and I don't blame them. I think I can see how that's a hard thing to sort of process. Like, no, it's just really great that I've been working steadily and have, you know, health insurance through my union. Oh, and, that's a huge accomplishment. Um, you know, but, uh, but for the most part, they're really supportive and they come see my shows in big, 
big loud groups and um and my mom has always been kind of amazing about it and never a stage mom at all when I was a kid which was incredible like it was always just she was just there to help and support me and if it ever stopped being fun I could stop you know it was always because it was what I wanted to do and I was working hard at it you know and that's that's why we could do it and never because she wanted me to you know be on stage in any way and so it, that's been really great. And she's, like I said, I mean, she's so supportive that she came with me to Indiana to watch the kids so I could be in a play. Um, um, are your parents and, in any sort of creative field or not really? No, no. Um, my mom is retired now, but she was, uh, but she remains on the board of a real estate investment company that my family owns. My stepfather is a pharmacist. Uh, well, he's retired as well. Um, my brother uh, uh, was a Marine um, for many years. My sister is uh, mostly a mom, but also an accountant, you know, no, but my cut, I will, I have a cousin who's in a, a, a rock and roll band. Um, <laughs> and like, and it is really success. I mean, they go on world tours and stuff. I mean, like he's like a rock star. So there's that. So at least they, you know, they have another there are touch. some alternate just... realities that they're aware of. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's not just me. Um, <laughs> But I think, yeah, I think it is some, you know, sometimes hard, I think, um, to, you know, we know how hard we work, right? And, um, and how we're in a business where, you know, we get, when we're, when we are working, we have one day off and you usually use that day to do other things, <laughs> do Laundry. other work. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and that, you know, it's, you don't get sick days and your friend's getting married. Sorry. Um, yeah. And, uh, and you don't have benefits in the same way, although our health insurance is amazing, yeah. but you have to work enough to you get, can it. get it. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, bless Actors Equity Health Insurance. It paid for my entire pregnancy and oh my childbirth. But, you know, but now I have the panic of like, if I ever want to have yeah. a kid again, I got to hang on to it. And it's hard to do now that I've moved to a city that has a much smaller market. Right, and it's easy to say, oh, if I have to go six months without it for myself, right. that's one thing, but when you have a child. Right, right, right. And, and it's also, I will say this, it is spectacular insurance, but nearly impossible to add a dependent to. Yes. Uh, yes. It's extremely, unbelievably expensive to do that. It's so bizarre how affordable it is. And then, I, yeah, there's just like no plan for that. Like, oh, why would you want to add a dependent? That doesn't matter. <laughs> like, yeah, it's sort of like, well, actors don't have kids, you yeah. know. <laughs> so, but that's a whole other thing. I will say this: uh, I I'm in a Facebook group of of theater parents of moms, specifically women actresses and stage managers and directors and playwrights that that are moms, and it's awesome. And I'm just a lurker. I've had, I have yet to post, but I love. I love reading these conversations between these women that are going like, okay, my kid is, you know, six months old. I've just been offered this out of town gig. Here's my situation. How has anybody done this before? Tell me. Or, you know, I mean, just any number of things. And it's just so amazing to see the community of women going like, you know, let me help you. Or, Or an actress going, I just had a fitting and they made me feel so terrible about my postpartum body. Can someone please talk me down? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's really um, it's really great, and I and I wish that there was more of a 
of the community for that, you know, and especially to talk about like how to, you know, when you're doing a show when you're pregnant, because I did too. And I have actresses say to me like, what's your advice for doing a show when you're pregnant? And my advice is don't, um, because you are not prepared for how exhausted mm. um, I mean, that fatigue is a real, real thing. And I was sick uh, for a hundred days in my pregnancy. Oh my God. Um, it was insane. Now I say that, but it's because I did two shows while I was pregnant that I had health insurance that carried on past yeah. when I wasn't working for a year. You know, yeah. my weeks stacked up. Can I so, ask, were you visibly pregnant for one of the shows? By the time my show closed, so for Gatsby, no, because I, I found out I was pregnant on opening night and I was like right, just barely pregnant. Um, and we ended up having to tell everybody though, because I was so sick that, um, I was like, I have to tell the cast because if I don't, they're either going to think I'm contagious or dying. So we did end up telling them. And of course we told our, you know, stage manager and the artistic director so that they would, cause it's a health issue. You have to kind of let them know what's going on. But, um, and then for Christmas Carol, luckily, uh, my costume as the, the ghost was a big coat, the big loose sort of fur trimmed coat, um, and so that covered everything. And, and then the dresses and skirts were big as well. And I was only, you know, with your first pregnancy, it takes a while to show a lot, a lot of the time. So I was only like, they'd only had to let it, they had to let my skirt out kind of right there at the end. Um, and I was just starting to show, like if I'd been in a, a modern dress um, or like a, something tight, right. um, you would have been able to tell. I guess I was curious because I don't know, I, I this is an assumption on my part because I haven't been in the position yet, but yeah, I wonder if sometimes you know casting directors, artistic directors aren't necessarily open minded. Oh yeah, about yeah, that. I I see that. <laughs> like yeah, it's I've a, seen like a mental block. I had already been yeah for them, and I'd already been cast in you know well like I said with Gatsby. I mean I I got pregnant during the right uh, rehearsal process, and then um, with Christmas Carol. Uh, I had already been cast, so when I knew I was pregnant, I reached out. The director um, is someone that we were close to, and which helped. Um, and he's also a father, so that helped as well. Um, and we just reached out and said, like, here's the deal. Here's how far along I'll be. Um, what do you think? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So, um, so I was really lucky for that thing. All right, shifting in my leather chair here. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of women that that's not been the case. Yeah. Um, and I, it going in for an, you know, like I was supposed to go in, you know, auditioning for things too. And you're like super private <laughs> auditioning for something where you're not, right. um, <laughs> you know, and you want to just be like, here are several photos of me, which is what I did. I, I was like, this is what I look like when I'm not pregnant. Well, and it's, you know, we're in a profession where you use your imagination, but we all know that casting directors do not always... Don't always. Use, decide to use that yeah. in auditions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. Or they go, well, maybe she won't lose the weight in time. I will say, having my first show back be uh, a sexy French farce definitely uh, put the motivation into me to, like get back in shape um not only for vanity reasons because actually I ended up not really I mean I was it was not like a run around in your underwear kind of thing for me but but just to have the stamina even to you know because your my body was so wrecked after having the baby and it I'm glad I put in the work I did just in terms of just having the ability to do it 
but yeah, it's, I mean, our body is our, is our business, right? So you have to kind of, and I also wonder like, if I weren't an actor who was going to be in a play, would, would, would it have been easier for me postpartum because I wouldn't have had to worry about, it would have been one less thing to worry about. Or it wouldn't be that time frame in your head. mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like this is the deadline, mm-hmm. this, you know. Yeah, sort of overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. Well, I saw there was a play at the Signature Theater here in New York a while ago by this amazing playwright called Brandon Jacob Jenkins, uh-huh. called Everybody, and it's like a retelling, really avant-garde retelling of the Everyman story. Oh, cool! But the cast would draw parts every night. Oh, I love that. It was amazing. They would draw parts, and so they would all play different parts. And one of the actors who was in the... There were a couple people who had set parts, but of the, like, five who would draw, one of them was an actress who was, like, visibly very pregnant. That's amazing. And <laughs> the night that I saw it, actually kind of, like, the handsome young white man drew the everybody, the everyman part, the main part, <laughs> which was kind of the That's most funny. predictable. But... Um, That's I, it just made me realize how rare it is. Mm-hmm. the fact and it made so much sense for this play but it also wasn't specified for this play the f- it's like yes she can play any of these parts yeah and it kind of made it even more beautiful mm-hmm. that she was pregnant and um it just made me realize how rarely it's addressed well and you think about i mean what we were talking about earlier about about inclusion on stage and how you know it, it, an audience might for two seconds go well that's weird but then they get over it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it's something that they're not used to or that isn't standard or whatever, you know, language we use for that, you know, it, it, for the most part, if you're telling that story honestly and you've got good, compelling actors on that stage, no one is going to go, well, I can't enjoy this production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof because, you know what I mean? Like, Exactly. I just, um, and I think that's absolutely true about, about pregnant women in this business or just parents in this business. You know, we, it's, you know, we've been really lucky to have, um, Indiana rep, uh, be a place that we've worked, um, multiple times now because the artistic director is a woman and well, she is a mother. That's the only place I've actually ever done Christmas Carol was at oh, <laughs> Indiana Rep. I just love that theater. Yeah, they're wonderful. And and Janet Allen, the artistic director, is just a force yeah, she's of, wonderful. of goodness and beauty in the world. And and as a as a mother, she is particularly um, aware of and a warrior for actors that are that are parents and a believer that we can do it. Like I think so many people go like, oh well, they're not going to be fully committed because they're going to be dealing with their kid, or they're going to be distracted, or they're going to be too tired, or they're going to you know. And she just knows, she just knows, like, no, you just, you just, yeah, you're a little more tired, but you figure it out. You do it. We all have stuff. Yeah, and know? if anything, you'll probably work even harder because now mm-hmm. you're supporting another human being. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. your livelihood exactly. is even more important to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's funny that opening night of, of Gatsby when I knew I was pregnant and she didn't know, nobody knew. Matt and I knew and that was it. And we were coming up the stairs from the green room up to the party up in the lobby. And she said, you know, how wonderful, how exciting it is for, for us to have you and Matt playing these roles together. And I, you know, that must be so special. And I said, yeah, it'll be something to tell the grandkids. And she said, um, 
Oh, I'm so glad you're thinking that way. She said, I know so many actresses and, and, and actors, but especially women um, who just don't, uh, who don't choose to do that. And I, and again, and me personally, I think having, you know, it's like what we always tell people about a career in the theater, which is if you can think of anything else you want to do, don't do it because it's hard enough. You know, it's a really hard business and don't do it unless you really want to do it. Same thing with parenting, right? Yeah. Like, don't do it unless you really want to do it because it's it's extraordinarily difficult and it will completely I mean not your life is completely different and not your own anymore um and I think she just was um as a mother herself was glad that two working actors were like this is a thing that, that we want have chosen that we want to do um because I think it's unfortunately kind of rare in our business that that um that it's not and it's because of what we just said that it's not, it doesn't feel like a conducive environment right. to have it's a family, especially for women. Supported. Um, well, that gives me a lot of hope to hear your story about it because Frankie and I want to do that someday. It's hard. And I don't know, I mean, who knows? We'd like to maybe have a second kid and I go, well, if that's the case, if we do do that, then I don't know what that's going to be. Right. You know, maybe then I won't work for years or ever. You know, I don't know. I don't know what that's going to be. Yeah. But maybe I do if I want it hard enough. I don't know. I don't know. I have kept you for a long time, so let me choose wisely. The last <laughs> couple of weeks. I'm left-handed. I'm a cancer. <laughs> I did want to ask about. I saw that you have that you're a photographer on the side as well. Oh yeah, I was. Um, oh, when I was anymore. in Chicago, yeah. When I was in Chicago, my my day job was I just a couple of days a week. I I was an assistant to a, a photographer. In Chicago, who's um, primarily a wedding photographer, but also did um, some editorial work and portrait work, and and he was amazing, and I learned a lot from him, and so I, I started taking my own headshots because I could, and it would save me money, um, and then I was like, oh, I, I'm getting pretty good at this, and so um, I started taking other people's headshots like as a favor, and then it became a thing, so I had kind of a little business going in Chicago that was going really well until I moved. Um, <laughs> And then I was pregnant, and now I'm here where I, I don't, it's such a small market here. Right. That, um, People don't and there's already a couple of photographers in town that are just, yeah. that have, that do wonderful, wonderful work that I don't feel like I need to like horn in on that. Right. You know, I don't feel like I have something necessarily that I'm like, Kansas City needs this, you know, I think. No, but that's great that you were able to use it as, um, yeah, it was a good background, backup. And it's still creative in a way. Yeah, it was great. And I liked being able to be provide that service to actors because, you know, I, yeah. I tried to keep my prices pretty low um, and have it be a pretty chill uh, experience. Yeah. The way I always put it was I was like, we're just hanging out and I happen to have a camera because I know how stressed out I always got when I would right. get headshots done and feel this need to, like, perform in some way or be something. Um, and I, I wanted to be able to be something for actors that was like, relax, be you, what you are is exactly right and good, and I'm not going to let you look stupid, <laughs> and I'm also not going to, like, take your entire month's rent yeah. to do this, you know? Is there a lesson that you've learned in the last couple of years that you want to tell me about that you're really proud oh, of? Man, I guess, well, this is, this is maybe a little depressing, but um, Chicago had a, a really rough uh, year of um, a lot of people in the theater community uh, dying. Um, cancer in some 
instances and other illnesses, but also some sort of horrible accidents. Um, a friend of ours was uh, hit by a tree, a falling tree in a storm while she was riding her bike. Another guy um, was in a car accident on his way to rehearsal. It was one of those years where we lost, I mean, I think we lost gosh, something like almost 20 people in the space of about nine months oh of people that were members of the community or family, like close members of the immediate family of people in the theater. Um, and it was such a, um, a sort of jolt, I think, to a lot of us in the Chicago community of going having a really clear illustration of nothing is guaranteed. Um, you don't know that you're gonna have tomorrow. You don't know that you're gonna have later today. And it's one of the reasons that Matt and I ended up moving because we thought, well, um, if not now, when? Yeah. If we wanna make a change, there's, there's no guarantee we're gonna have next year or two years from now. And if we, what do we want our life to really be? What is, what do we want our life to look like? What do we want our days to be made up of? How do we want to spend our time? Um, it's one. It's it's what led us to saying we're ready to have a kid and we're ready to to try try living somewhere else. Because what that's what we decided we want is each other and our our life to be the way that it, you know is sort of becoming. Um, but yeah, I think, I think if I learned any lesson, it's that it's that there's not always going to be a guarantee of another minute even of your life, um, which is sort of horrifying and, uh, to think about, but also, uh, freeing. Yeah. You know, um, and, and, and I will also say that, that having a, a, a child has done that for me as well, because, I mean, I would, th I would, I would, Leah, I would throw myself in front of a train for him to say, to, to protect him. I would. And I, it's, I've never, I love my husband with every atom of my being, but this kind of a feeling, um, and he would, he would say the same thing for, uh, for the, the, our, our child is, um, it is overwhelming, you know, and, and it definitely helps me when I have, you know, we had to do, we just put ourselves on tape for um, two plays and we had two sides each, but then also decided to do one of each of our sides with each other. So really it was three sides each uh -huh. <laughs> um, and it was so much work and uh, really hard to be prepared because of how busy we are um, and, and to just get it done and get the baby out of the house so we could do it. And, uh, and ordinarily, like we would be so stressed out about that and so like, overwhelmed about it and, yeah. and like mad about it, about our own lack of time and how much work, you know, and like, and God probably won't even get it. And, you know, all the, you know, the things that we do as actors. Um, but it was, it, it's, a, it has been a, a lesson and a gift, um, having a kid because I can just kind of go, I'm going to do my best in yeah. this moment at this thing. I'm going to put as much work and attention and care and love into it as I can. And it's either it's going to be enough or it's not. And I can just do it and I can let it go. And I can know that no matter what, you know, I there's a little person who needs me to, you know, feed him here today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and is yeah. relying on me to teach him how to be a 
a good citizen of the world and a human being and a I know I know it's a very common thing. It's the most common thing, but it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't before I had a kid, I I had no I couldn't no, you hear about I wanted, it. after I had a kid and I wanted to call happens. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to call every actor I knew that had a kid and that I'd ever done a show with while they had a kid and be like, I had no idea what you were dealing with. I wanted yeah. to call my, my friend Alex, who played Amelia when I when I did Othello. It was one of the last, it was the last show I did before, no, second to last show I did before I got pregnant. And she had a six-month-old uh, during the show and and a four-year-old at home. And I, just, I wanted to call her and be like, Alex, I don't know why my entire life was not about making sure you could get a nap and like <laughs> make sure you had a snack. Aww. And like check in about how you're feeling about being away from your baby yeah. while you were here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I didn't know because we don't know. You don't, you don't know, know until you're doing it. Well, that's know? an amazing, that's an amazing yeah. lesson that you should definitely be proud of. Um, <laughs> well, really quickly, and then I'll let you go because I know it's getting late. If you are having a day where you're in the dark side and you're just not feeling inspired or motivated. Are, yeah. there, are there any concrete things that you turn to again and again, like a book or music? Yeah, or... yeah. Um, I'm a big reader, um, and I haven't, I have no time to read now, <laughs> which is horrible. But I do have some books that are like the book that you can just pick up and turn to any page, yeah. and you can just dive into it. You know, so I've got a few of those comfort reads, um, and a couple of movies that are also that for me. Uh, the original Haley Mills Parent Trap. Is one I of them. love the original Parent Trap. It's so good. I want to live in that <laughs> weird summer camp. Anyway, um, you know, so there's things, that, and certain music for me as well. Podcasts, actually. There are a couple mm-hmm. of podcasts that I like to go to. Um, and, uh, I mean, in terms of, like, our business, too, like, I, I find a lot of comfort and inspiration in other people's work. Mm-hmm. You know that feeling when you go see a play and you leave it going, like, I got to get into a rehearsal or yeah. something. You know? I just got to create something. Yeah. 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 So when I'm feeling really low, especially about like career stuff, um, you know, cause it's like a bunch of my close, like more than one of my good friends are going to be on Broadway this year. And, and other member like other people I know are like becoming movie stars and television stars. And I'm like at home, like picking yogurt out of my hair. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that got seized on me during lunch you know, and like summarizing the news, you know what I mean? Um, and so you can have those days where you just go like, what am I doing? Um, where, where, how did I get here? Um, (laughs) but it actually can be really, it feels like you don't want to go see a play in those moments, but going to see a play can be so good for me to just go have a story told to me, enjoy watching someone else be amazing and I really, my, it was, here's something that you asked about being in a show, not with my husband. That was what he was in a show without me. So I got to go see it, (laughs) you know, and it was so great. It was the best to be able to watch him in a show, you know, and like it, it was, so that for me can be, um, a really restorative thing to go. Cause I, you know, I love, I love what we do. I love theater. I really love it. Yeah. I like going to plays, you know, and reading yeah. plays too. That always helps me too, especially yeah. like a good new play. I like, I, I have a, a bunch of playwright friends and sometimes they send me their stuff and it's the best. 
so I get to read new things like that too. And then the final question is, uh, have you seen anything recently that you want to recommend? Oh man. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately there's nothing I've seen recently that is still open that I can recommend, but Matt, Matt just did. And then there were none, which seems like such a like, yeah, yeah, I get the Christie, but it was so great to just go see something that was like fun and creepy and like glamorous and weird and like thrilling and scary and good, you know, and I really also, um, I'm gosh, I'm trying to like, yeah, nothing that I can, nothing that I've seen lately is still open. That's what's terrible. That's terrible. Short runs here in Kansas city. It could be of any art form too. Or if you don't I will else, say fine. there is a museum here called the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art and it is extraordinary and world-class and it's free and they have just opened these new impressionist galleries with water lilies and oh, nice. some pizarros and um, there's Van Gogh in there and it is um, it is jaw and they're about to open a Picasso exhibit as well and they also have an extremely uh, impressive Asian art collection and I, every time I go there, I go, I can't believe that this is here and that it's free. <laughs> um, so I, if you are in the Kansas City area, go to the Nelson because it is just stunning. And it's in this huge, big old, beautiful, you know, gorgeous, you know, 1920s, I think, um, building. And, and it's just, yeah, it will, it will restore your, your faith in, in beauty. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, it is. Well, thank you yeah. so much. This Thanks for letting me ramble really, on about really stuff. For... <laughs> you know, rambling is the point. It's the good part. Well, I had a good time talking to you. Please give your husband a hug for me and tell him I think he's awesome. And I think you're awesome, too. You can tell him I think you're awesome. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of the Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the Compass Podcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. You'll get access to bonus content and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.